0: Uh, I, I love that video, praise God for the gift of partnership among local churches and praise God that we as pastors and members in the church, you are able to have such an impact beyond this local congregation, God has been so good to us, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, we are returning today to our study of the book of 1 Peter And our sermon is titled, How to Flourish in Marriage. God gave us the book of 1 Peter because he wants us to know that following Christ involves hardship and suffering, but he also wants us to know that the gospel enables us to thrive and to be a people of hope. Throughout this larger section that we've been studying in 1 Peter we've seen a repeated command for people to be subject to others. He has addressed civic life and how we relate to governing officials, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, Uh, professional life or vocational life, where he addresses household servants as the weakest members of society, uh, giving instruction in particular on how they are to relate to masters who are cruel and unjust. That's chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And now we come to marital life, ...in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Throughout this section, as these different uh, categories, individuals are addressed... ...Peter's giving special attention to instructing those who have less power. uh, Those who are most likely to be oppressed and mistreated. And so we see, for example, it's different than uh, Paul in some of his letters... Uh, there is lengthy instruction to the servants, but no instruction here given to the masters. Why? Well, he is addressing those who are most likely to be oppressed and mistreated; those who have less power. Uh, the, insten- the extended instruction in this passage—I'm about to read it—and you'll see that the first six verses address wives, and then verse seven is addressed to husbands. The extended instruction given to the wife is not designed to place additional burdens on the woman, but is to dignify her role, uh, to highlight the impact that she has, and to call attention to her imperishable beauty, which is precious in God's sight. Now, You may know this in some churches, there is a kind of male focus. It's always speaking To the men, only it seems on Sunday mornings believes men to be more valuable and influential than the women. Women become invisible in that kind of setting. And it is emphatically not the way of 1 Peter 3 where women are addressed. Karen Job says the apostle Peter elevates the dignity and self-understanding of the least empowered people of that time. The slave first and then the wife. This is God's word addressed to wives and husbands on how to flourish in marriage. It's occurred to me throughout this service that God's been ministering to us in a particular way. And that is to those who have been discouraged through an experience of the absence of God. Uh, the seeming absence of God, that God feels distant. It occurs to me at the outset of this message that perhaps the area that you perceive the absence of God is in your marriage. And for those who are in any way struggling in marriage, I want to remind you at the outset of this this sermon that God is postured to bless you. He is for you. He loves you. He waits to be gracious to you and you must not allow yourself to listen to God's word with ears of discouragement and unbelief and hopelessness. However long-standing the difficulties in your marriage may be, this passage, God's holy and authoritative word, holds out the path for you to flourish in marriage. That's what God is giving you today. And your ability to honor God as a husband or wife is not dependent upon your spouse. Your specific marriage, the situation that you are presently in, however difficult, is a God-given context and opportunity for you to worship and honor the Lord even if your spouse falls far short of who God calls them to be. And the good news that we've been reminded of is that it, at the end of the day, doesn't even depend on our own effort and determination. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God is for you in your marriage. And let me say this as well. For those who are not married, I want to emphasize that there are lessons here for us all. In fact, as I have studied what the wife is to be, I have been reproved in various Uh, areas of my own life so there are lessons here for us all to learn the power of godly conduct the priority of character over appearance the importance of honoring others and more all right so we all give our attention to the word of God oh and let me say one other thing at the outset for those struggling in marriage for those who are not married in fact for all of us Christianity approaches Marriage and romance entirely different from this world in this way. The love that we declared earlier in this service from Romans chapter 8 is the love that satisfies us fully and completely. And therefore, we do not idolize marriage. We We don't look to marriage or a romantic relationship for ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. Why? Because we have learned to be satisfied in Christ alone and to rejoice in the riches of his love. It is only when you arrive at that place that you are able in marriage to say, Lord, teach me. And what do you have as we continue to press on together? All right, I'm preaching and I haven't read the text yet. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word. which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May God bless the preaching of his word. My favorite portrayal of marriage in a Pixar movie is, of course, Carl and Ellie from the movie Up. They are childhood sweethearts. They marry young. They enjoy each other greatly as friends. They endure hardship together. They watch clouds and read together. They grow old together and slow dance in the living room. And when Ellie dies in old age, Carl's love remains tender and strong as ever. The movie is actually quite beautiful. There's an instrumental piece called Married Life that runs, uh, that's played during a sequence and then runs throughout the movie. My second favorite Pixar couple, because I know everyone's curious, edge of your seat wondering what I think about Pixar movies, uh, is Mr. and Mrs. Incredible or Elastigirl, but for entirely different reasons. We've changed the pace here because their relationship brings out the tensions that can exist in marriage and they have bickering dishonesty dysfunction anger and other issues to work through mr incredible is so busy saving the world that he is late for his own wedding which leads to his bride saying at the altar under her breath to make this marriage work you're going to have to be much more than mr incredible Uh, It's actually a a brilliant concept. A man and woman who were among the world's greatest superheroes. They are able to save the entire planet from all kinds of villains, but who struggle greatly to love and serve each other in marriage. But they learn to work together. At one point, Mr. Incredible says to his daughter, Violet, the important thing is that mommy and I are always a team, always united against the forces. A lot of wisdom in that. Megan and I were recently talking about marriage, about the 20 years that we have been married, thanking God for his faithfulness and reflecting on things that we have learned over the years, we've had to learn that we are on the same team. Um, We've had to learn to be quick to seek help and counsel from others rather than thinking we've got this on our own. We've had to learn to, to revisit and walk through conflicts at a later time to say what can we learn from that when it would be so much easier to just move on. We've had to learn to focus on our own responsibilities in marriage rather than on the other. And we've had to learn to be patient with each other. One of the best things we included in our wedding vows was the promise to take and love each other just as you are. I, Jared, take you, Megan, just as you are. And she began her vows, and I thank God for it. I, Megan, take you, Jared, just as you are. You are with the promise to love each other just as we are, with no demands that we will change. We've had to learn that the call to love each other and faithfully carry out our responsibilities in marriage is not based on conditions but on commitment. And we've seen how marriages can go astray. Too often, uh, the husband is primarily concerned about the respect he receives and his leadership being encouraged and affirmed. And the wife is mostly concerned about being cherished and understood and focuses on where her husband falls short. What if, here's a revolutionary idea, what if the passion of husbands was their own responsibilities and the passion of wives was their own responsibilities? What if, what if they both truly saw themselves as the greatest hindrance to having a stronger marriage? That is, they saw their own heart as the greatest threat to honoring the Lord in their marriage. That would point marriages to the direction of flourishing and that would be a really wise and humble way to listen and apply a message like this. God is addressing wives on their responsibilities, husbands on their responsibilities. And so brilliantly and insightfully in this passage, the specific temptations of men and women that we face in marriage are addressed. This is how each in the couple can contribute powerfully to the flourishing of our marriages. Let's consider this counsel from God's word. Two points. We'll examine what God says to wives and then to husband. So first, the woman of imperishable beauty. The attractive wife. Verse 1 addresses a very specific and challenging situation, in fact. It is, it is the wife who is married to an unbeliever. Those who do not obey the word. Some of you know that pain and that difficulty in your own life, you've prayed, there has been no change, you have felt alone, you have perhaps grown weary in it. Consider how greatly it should encourage you to know that God sees, that He cares, and that in His kindness He addresses that very specific situation you are in being married to an unbeliever. Faithfulness in that situation requires a remarkable kind of grace. And those in our church family who are married to unbelievers are among the heroes in our church family. We should also consider that if Peter gives counsel here that applies to being married to an unbeliever. Well it certainly applies to a marriage where a Christian husband is not the loving leader that he ought to be. There's a repeated command in this passage for the wife to submit to her husband. You see that in uh, verse 1, it says wives are to be subject to their husbands. And verse 5 repeats it, saying that a wife adorns herself by submitting to her husband. Submission in marriage refers to an inclination to joyfully support and affirm a husband's leadership. This teaching is profoundly countercultural. And too often it's misunderstood and misapplied by those who hold it. A few things need to be said briefly about the biblical teaching on submission. Here we go. First, we are all in various relationships in which we are called to submission. So there is nothing exclusively feminine about biblical submission. Second, submission is modeled in the Trinity, in the Godhead, where God the Son submitted perfectly to the Father's will and was obedient in life and death. Submission does not mean that someone is unthinking or that they are a doormat. Third, the Bible does not teach that women are to submit to all men. They are rather commanded to submit to their husbands. Fourth, and importantly, submission does not imply inferiority. Women are equal to men in dignity and value. Fifth, a wife's submission is to be voluntary. She voluntarily chooses to marry the man she will follow. She makes that choice. And she is the one commanded to submit rather than the husband being commanded to make sure that their wives submit, which is a massive difference. And sixth, a husband's responsibilities, which are outlined in verse 7, and we will get to guard against the misuse of his authority. If a wife is being abused, listen, she is to involve the proper authorities rather than submit to abuse. An abusive situation is not what Peter has in view here. Here is the counsel that he gives to the wife. So we're under this first heading, woman of imperishable beauty, and there are three subpoints underneath here. First, verse 1. An example of godliness and respect is better than nagging words. So great is the impact, uh, the power that a wife's conduct has on her husband that if he is an unbeliever, her conduct can be instrumental in bringing him to Christ. What louder statement could be made of the impact of a wife's conduct? This is the secret to a godly wife's impact. Rather than using words to tear down, use godly conduct to inspire change. So that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of Of their wives. One of the temptations in every marriage is to use words in really unhelpful ways constant criticism, efforts to change your spouse through nagging, expressions of dishonor and disrespect. All of us need to hear this the best way to impact your marriage and your spouse is not by lecturing, but by living by your conduct. Ed Clowney says the silent eloquence of a wife's pure and reverent behavior can preach daily the transforming power of Jesus Christ. This is true. And I'm telling you, in my own marriage, nothing has inspired and helped me to be a better husband more than the undeserved encouragement, affirmation and respect that Megan consistently shows. We married really young. We married immature. We had quite a lot to learn. I still have a long ways to go. Megan does not lecture me or nag me or relate to me from a negative perspective or a critical spirit. And it makes all the difference in our marriage. And it makes all the difference in my leadership. It, she establishes through that conduct the entire culture of our marriage. An example of godliness and respect is better than nagging words. And then second, Peter says, a gentle and quiet spirit is better than external beauty. A woman's True beauty is, verse four, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle means humble and meek rather than harsh. Quiet means there is a tendency to promote peace and not escalate conflict. She is a calming presence in their marriage and in the home. Verses three through four are not forbidding women from giving attention to their outward appearance or forbidding braids and jewelry and clothes it is making clear that that is not the priority there was in fact in in uppercase uh, roman society it was common to give extraordinary attention to outward appearance elaborate braiding ostentatious jewelry and there are some things that really haven't changed, because likewise, Americans spend billions on beauty products, cosmetic surgery, and external beauty, and yet it makes no one any happier, and all of it is fleeting, which makes outward beauty a terrible focus, idol, and obsession. Nothing is more unattractive than vanity and self-absorption, and God says that a wife's Focus and passion should be on the inner person. And they must constantly be on guard against the tendency to indulge the external and the material. Finding significance in appearance and fitness and finances and worldly success. I want to encourage parents to cultivate this in your children. Cultivate this especially in your daughters, the hidden person of the heart. Help your children to develop countercultural ideas of beauty that strongly accent the inner person. And then, third, in addressing the wives, verses five and six say that trust in the Lord is better than fearing frightening things. Verse five emphasizes holy women in the Old Testament, how they adorned themselves with hope in God rather than walking in fear and anxiety. And the specific example of Sarah is mentioned from Genesis 18. And how she spoke respectfully of Abraham even when he wasn't present. And through that act set an example for women to follow today. Verse 6 says you are Sarah's children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, Carolyn Mahaney in her outstanding book, True Beauty, says a gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality trait. So don't think of someone who's a little less talkative that they somehow have an upper hand. It's not talking about how gregarious and outgoing you are. A gentle and quiet spirit is not a personality trait. It is the quality of a woman who meets adversity, slander, sickness, rejection, loss. The quality of a woman who meets adversity, with a calm confidence in God. And that kind of woman is not a weak woman, but a strong woman because she trusts in the Lord. This is the woman of imperishable beauty who adorns the gospel with her life, who flourishes in marriage. And it occurs to me that our church, I thank God, is full of this kind of woman. She resists the temptation to use words in unhelpful ways. She resists the temptation to prioritize external adorning. She resists the temptation to be overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. Her conduct in the home is godly and respectful as an application of the gospel that has changed her life. Her spirit is gentle and quiet and she hopes in God at all times. This is what God, through 1 Peter 3, is calling Christian wives Christian women to be then second the man of understanding the considerate husband Uh, a single verse (laughs) that brilliantly challenges and inspires husbands in our responsibilities and addresses our sinful tendencies what what is God's word to husbands I have three points here as well all of them in the text as well First, being understanding is better than lacking knowledge. The call to be understanding. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, Live with them in a way that is according to knowledge. A husband must have a knowledge of God first and foremost an understanding of his will, including the will of God for marriage. The husband must have an understanding of the love of God. He must have an understanding of the holiness of God. He must have an understanding of the riches of the gospel because he is called to lay down his life for his wife just as Christ laid down his life for the church so that the way of the Christian husband Looks a lot like the way of the cross. Self-sacrifice. Self-denial. You lay down your life for the other. And. In addition to having an understanding of God. And God's vision for marriage. The understanding husband must have an understanding. Of the needs of his wife. Understanding the one to whom god has joined him understanding involves learning which involves time and communication peter davids describes the knowledge we are to have of our wives this way he says it is not analytical knowledge or religious insight so i i love reading books this kind of knowledge i'm not going to get from picking up a book and reading It's not analytical knowledge or religious insight, but personal insight that leads to loving and considerate care. What does that mean? It means, husbands, as a husband, you should know your wife's greatest worries and temptations. You should know what's on her mind this week and today. You should know what concerns she has for herself, what concerns she has for you what concerns she has for the children. You should know her desires and her aspirations and her dreams. The understanding husband will be an emotional refuge for his wife. He will be a life companion. He will be a good listener. He will be her confidant and her best friend. Really, men, what we're called to, the husband should live with his wife in such a way that she thinks, you know, He really gets me, he knows me, he understands me, he cherishes me, I am secure in his love. All of that is part of the understanding way. And then second, showing honor is better than being self-serving. Husbands, we are never to be domineering, we are never to be controlling, we are to use the leadership God has entrusted to us for good, contributing to the flourishing and the growth of our wives. The text says, showing honor, not to ourselves, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We need to pause there. taking a while for me to get there. What does it mean that the woman is the weaker vessel? Women are not... Weaker in wisdom, in intellect, in rationality. They are not weaker in emotions or bravery or value or influence or spiritual maturity. Women are not weaker in those ways. The phrase simply means that men tend to be physically stronger... And have a power or strength that must not be misused or abused. Weaker vessel is not a demeaning phrase which would cut against everything in these verses. The phrase means that the woman is not like the plastic plates that my kids use for lunch. They are like the fine china that we use on special occasions. The weaker vessel is a reason to honor them. Verse seven says, we honor our wives since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. What a claim. We have the same destiny. We have the same future in Christ. And the way we speak to our wives and about our wives and the way we treat them should reflect this staggering reality. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. The grace of life being the hope of heaven and eternity with God that comes not through our moral performance but through trusting in Christ and his finished work. The living hope that we have is for us all, husbands and wives and those who are single and all who will put their trust in Christ. Showing honor is better than being self-serving. And then third and last, a praying life is better than spiritual apathy. Uh, there is to be a spiritual leadership that includes seeking God in prayer. And the end of verse seven says that we are to relate to our wives this way with honor, with tenderness, with respect for this reason, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Fail to honor your wife And it will affect the way God relates to your prayers. Why? Because you are praying to him while blatantly denying his will. It's a sobering thought. In fact, I had this. Here's here's a question. If your prayers were hindered, husbands, would it make any difference? What more frightening thought than... My prayer life in any given week or month being such that the hindering of my prayers would have no real effect because I'm not communing with God as I ought and I'm not praying as I ought. We should be praying prayers each week, men. Prayers for ourselves, for our wives, for our marriages, for those who are married, Because we recognize that we are desperate for God and dependent upon him. I want to give an exhortation to the husbands to close this sermon just as this passage closes with a word to the husbands. And I want to give this exhortation as we prepare as men for our men's retreat this coming weekend. I'd like to invite everyone to stand actually if I can have have you stand. I wanna say to the husbands who are here in this room that I respect you men so greatly. I, I would go to war with you men and have gone into battle against the enemy as we stand side by side. And I am so glad that we are in this together. In our church, my primary concern for husbands is not the abuse of leadership. It is the abdication of leadership or the potential for the abdication of leadership. In our church, we have some incredible husbands and leaders in the home. Okay? You men are doing well. This is not a rebuke, but an exhortation. Where there is concern, it is not so much for tyranny as it is for passivity. Passivity is the vice that is most likely to influence a younger generation of men. And so I want to say, men, let's rise up. Let's let's be the kind of men who wholeheartedly pursue God in prayer, asking great things of him. For ourselves, for our wives, for our marriages, and for the church. Let's be men who love our spouses, who lead in such a way that following our leadership is a joy. Let's have the banner over our leadership be the understanding and honor that is outlined in this passage. Let's resolve today. It may not always have been this way. And yes, we are aware of our shortcomings and our sins for which we repent for which we cry out to God for forgiveness and for strength to change. And then we say, I I don't need to go on the way that I have. By the grace of God, there is power for change. There is hope, not by my might, not by my power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord. And then let's resolve. I am going to be a student of my wife. I am going to attend to her needs. I am going to be sensitive to her concerns and desires and dreams. Men, let's, let's love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the vision that God calls us to as men. And this, this reference to husband's prayers at the end of verse 7 has me eager for marriages to benefit even now from those prayers and so what I want to do is take a moment now and I'm going to have us pray together and I specifically want individual couples to be praying together and for the husband to be leading in prayer. That includes couples on the live stream if you're watching this at home. Take this moment to have the husband lead in praying together. If if your spouse is not with you, Megan is serving in, in Promise Kingdom now. If your spouse is not with you, pray for your marriage. Pray for your spouse. Um, if if you are not married, you can pray for marriages in the church. And husbands, as you lead in prayer, you can thank God for the gift that your spouse is to you. You can thank God for her strengths. You can thank God for how good God has been to you. You can confess your sin and where you want to grow. You can express your need for God's help and God's wisdom. You can ask God to help strengthen and flourish your marriage for his glory let's take a moment now and pray all right couples husbands pray aloud for your for your wife with your wife the rest of us let's just pray silently individually